I think canola and, you know, canola and pulses and cereals in a rotation are, there's so many opportunities for growers to get back into those more diversified rotations and gain the benefits from that. Hello, welcome to the Canola Watch podcast. Our topic today is pulses and what they can do for a rotation, particularly a rotation with canola. My name is Jay Wetter, and my guest today is... My name is Sherry Lynn Phelps, and I'm the agronomy manager at Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. Our conversation started with the benefits of pulses in a rotation. You know, the main one that comes to mind for a lot of growers is the benefit of pulses is that they fix their own nitrogen. So it reduces the reliance on chemical fertilizer during the pulse year. And that nitrogen that the crops fix becomes available for future crops as that material within the field still drives down or um, degrades over time. Are you prepared to say which pulse is better for that? And also, as a related question, how much is how much <laughs> nitrogen is available? You know, that's 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 the million dollar question. And I actually was dealing with two grower questions related to that earlier today. So um, I don't mind speaking on that at all, because that is something that, you know, growers are interested in, and we're all trying to figure out what that number is. So when we're talking about nitrogen fixation, the plants use the nitrogen from the air in the soil and fix it and put it into their, their plant growth and ultimately seed. Pulses are high in protein, and so they they require a lot of nitrogen, and a lot of that nitrogen does get removed in the grain, but about half of it also remains within the plant itself. Now, each of the pulse crops has a different ability in terms of the amount of nitrogen that it fixes and the amount of nitrogen that remains within the crop. But some of that is a bit offset by the yield potential because different pulse crops sort of have different yield potentials across the province. So the most, the, the highest nitrogen fixing pulse crop that we have is faba beans. It is a pig when it comes to the amount of nitrogen that it can fix. It also pr- can produce really high yields and with those high yields a lot of the nitrogen is going into the seed because it is the highest nitrogen content or one of the highest nitrogen content, sorry, one of the um, highest protein content of the, the pulses. So you're removing a lot of the nitrogen when you combine it. Where something like peas is a little bit less in terms of the amount of nitrogen that it fixes, but because it has lower protein than the faba beans, it does have a little bit more left in the plant. And when we look at things like lentils, which tends to have a lower yield, the nitrogen amount that it's fixed would be similar to a little bit less, but but um, on a pound basis, similar to that by peas. And when we get looking at the amount of nitrogen that's left over from these crops for the future years, it, it varies. And Jeff Shano at the University of Saskatchewan has done a lot of work on this. And in a nutshell, the numbers that have come out of that equate to about point five, so half a pound of nitrogen per bushel of grain um, that is removed. So so the range is from 0.5 to one pound of nitrogen per bushel of grain that is removed can be available for the future crops. 
So if something that is very high yielding, like faba beans, and if you have good growing conditions and they remove um, a lot of nitrogen in a high yield, you may be down at that 0.5 pounds of nitrogen for every bushels that's produced. Where something more like peas, if you're getting an average yield, you might be closer to the one pound of nitrogen per bushel of peas that are removed. So you kind of can use that that range in terms of the amount of nitrogen available per, per based on the grain yields of the crop growing, gives you an indication of, of how much nitrogen may be available for the future crops. All right, so I interrupted you though, because you were going to get on to other benefits, or maybe you had another point to make about nitrogen, but let's get back to that. What are the benefits of pulses in rotation? Okay, so other benefits of pulses in rotation, and you know, particularly when we're talking about um, the benefits to other crops, is the ability to break pest cycles. So uh, disease cycles, for example. So when you're growing a pulse in rotation with canola, you're extending the time that that, that canola crop is growing and, and then reducing the risk for disease pressure, such things like club root. The longer you can kind of expand your rotation, the less risk of, of developing club root over the short, short term. And the same goes for the pulses. If you're growing pulses in rotation with canola and expanding the number of years between pulse crops, you're allowing some opportunity for a break in those disease cycles. So things like Athanomyces, which is very specific to peas and lentils, if we can expand that rotation by including you know, more crops like canola and cereals in there, then we reduce the risks associated with that. So disease cycling is, is another one. You can even consider some of the, the insect cycles as well. However, the insects tend to move um, and, and it's a little bit harder to break those cycles unless the insects are related to the fields that they're grown upon. It's other interesting, can, just on the insects, sorry. Sherilyn, um, yeah. I noticed that um, faba beans are, I don't know whether susceptible is the word, but ligus like to eat them which I, I always think of ligus as a canola pest, but obviously they eat other crops too. They, they do. Ligus is one that is really problematic in faba beans because what it ends up doing is it's a piercing insect, so it creates those little black holes within the pods and then within the seeds, which result in downgrading of quality. So for human consumption, faba beans, I believe the, the tolerance is about 3%. So if you have lower or more than that in terms of ligus damage or ligus injury, you're definitely getting a reduced price and in some cases a, a saleable product that uh, can't go into the, the food markets but is restricted more to the feed. So, you know, reduction in quality and reduction in economics can play a role when we're looking at insects. And unfortunately, a lot of the the area that's suited to faba beans, which is more in the northern western areas, is also a heavy canola producing area as well. So, you know, those two both have the risks of ligus. What's next? Um, another thing that to, to consider with rotations and one of the benefits with pulses is the impact on the water levels. So different pulses have different requirements for moisture in terms of optimum yields and their sensitivity to either dry conditions or wet conditions. So depending on where you are in the province, pulses can be a good fit to help you manage water or to help you manage risk if 
water is a concern for your area, whether it's dryness or, or wetness. So for example, peas and lentils are quite tolerant to dry conditions. So if you're going into a spring where you have, you know, drier um, subsoil moisture, then peas and lentils can be a good fit. If you're going into areas that have more moisture and you want to, you know, either dry some fields out or just make use of that higher moisture level, crops such as faba beans and soya beans are a really good fit. Um, they both require a lot of moisture in order to maximize yields and, um, you know, can be used to dry down some of those wetter areas or wetter fields um, to get ready for planting other crops the following years. So moisture is something to consider and, and can be a benefit in terms of um, growing pulses in rotation. The other thing with the moisture side of things is that the maturity differences in pulses can also affect the amount of uh, moisture that can be recharged in the fall. So something like peas that has an earlier maturity allows a longer time in the fall for some of the recharge of, of soil moisture and, and can it allow an increase in that soil moisture for future crops in areas that, you know, tend to be a little bit drier during the growing season. So if there are farmer, some, you know, if you're, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, if you're, if you're a farmer and you had, say, peas and faba beans as familiar crops, crops you're ready to go and grow at, at any year, you've got a dry spring, you think, okay, I'm going to grow more peas. You have a wet spring, okay, I'm going to grow more faba beans. Could it be as, as simple as... Know, adjusting your rotation based on the, the spring soil moisture situation? Definitely. That can be one opportunity for sure. It's just using what you feel is available in that spring to choose the crop that's most suited. Other benefits that pulses bring is their um, improvements on soil tilth and root penetration, um, as well as their microbial association. So Pulses, not only do they fix nitrogen, so they, you know, work with those rhizobia that we apply as inoculants, but they also are very mycorrhizal and they have very close associations with other organisms in the soil that really stimulate root development, help root hair development, and then ultimately helps with the soil structure moving forward. So there's definitely positive attributes in terms of soil quality. Um, and biological activity of those soils as well. Um, the, the other benefit to pulses is just, you know, comes down to the economics. There's been a lot of work done on rotations and including pulses, and there's, you know, a big study that just recently came out of Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada that uh, Dr. St. Luce uh, presented a lot of information on, and I believe the study originated with Cindy Grant. And it really showed that the economics of a rotation is the best when you're including pulses in rotation and that rotation is, is a diversified. So they compared um, a rotation of peas, lentils, faba beans um, to ones that were just more canola and, and barley and found that the most economical rotations over the long term, so over the course of the rotation, was where you included a pulse with a diversified uh, crop system in that rotation. So economics definitely does play a part as well. One of the farmers I interviewed over the winter was saying 
that he would like to grow more peas if they would just stand up. Um, so I think part <laughs> of it comes back to getting familiar again, if you haven't grown a lot of pulses with the crop and just the what they need and, and how they react. And, and then you can start solving some of these issues with regard to lodging or standability or, or anything else. What would you say to that? Standability, um, particularly with peas, is an ongoing issue and one of the biggest challenges. And I know breeders are trying to develop varieties that are more and more tolerant to lodging or, and um, have more resistance to being able to stand up. And it's not a quick process because you're taking a pea plant that is, you know, more viney and more kind of vegetative and trying to make it grow like a wheat or like a canola that has more of a stiff stem. And those characteristics just aren't part of the crop. Um, so it, it is a challenge. The other challenge that uh, we face with sustainability is the impact of, of root rots. Um, because the later infection of some of the root rots can result in a, a really weakening of that stem base at the soil surface, and then you combine that with environmental conditions such as wind or heavy rains, and that just pushes the crop down and makes it hard to pick up. So it's really challenging, um, particularly with pulses in terms of trying to manage that lodging. Things that you can do to try to mitigate that risk is, you know, rolling is, is, the is one of the options that most growers use just to make sure that they're pushing the rocks down into the field so that they can use the combine headers really close to the soil surface and not have to worry about rocks. So that's kind of a, a physical way of trying to pick the crop, crop up that has lodged. But from a management perspective, there are, you know, there's limited things you can do to mitigate that lodging, making sure your plant populations are, are good and that they're high enough to make sure you have a dense canopy that can kind of hold itself up as much as possible. Um, good nutrient management, making sure that the crop is not lacking in terms of some of the, the nutrients that are required for growth. Because anytime you're lacking in nutrients, you're, you're just more susceptible to stresses and, and not as healthy in terms of growth habit. Other things that, that um, growers have been playing with to look at the harvestability are things like intercropping. So there is some pea and canola intercrops that have been tried and it definitely does help with the standability of the, the pea crop. The, the, and so both crops are grown together and then harvested together. And so there is one extra step in terms of you have to clean the, the canola seed out of the peas, but it, it definitely is an option for increase, increasing the harvestability. So Sherry Lynn, if a canola grower has been on a canola wheat rotation, knows that, uh, a two-year break is important for club root management, black lake management, etc. How do we get them back into pulses? What what would be a good way to to take baby steps back into pulse production if you've been out of it for a while? Well, I think the first thing that you want to look at is where you're located and what region you're located in and what are the pulse crops that are most suited for your situation. Um, you know, things like peas are fairly widely grown and most guys have some experience with peas. Um, some might have been from a while ago. 
and but we do have the most experience with with that crop um but it's more suited to sort of the the dark brown black soil zones um and it does not like wet feet so that's one of the challenges for peas under the higher moisture conditions so other crops that would be more tolerant to higher level moisture conditions sort of in that northern belt where maybe there's more canola acres and they're looking at expanding pulse acres. There are some other crops such as faba beans and soybeans that are more tolerant to higher moisture conditions. The challenge with both faba beans and soybeans is the maturity. Maturity is, is somewhat longer than the majority of our pulses, specifically much longer than peas, for example. Um, an advantage to faba beans is that you can seed them early, as early as you can get in the field, you can seed those. So even in the northern areas, you can get in and, and seed them and, and spring frosts really don't hurt them. You might see a little bit of frost damage on the above ground leaves, but they'll come back, no problem. Where soybeans, you do have to delay seeding until the soils warm up. And so then you need a, a much longer growing season in the fall for them to to mature to um, and get past the, the the risk of frost. There are definitely new varieties that are available that are early maturing and, and can and have matured under the northern growing conditions. So there's an option for soybean crops in that area. Crops like chickpeas is another pulse crop. It's more suited to the drier areas, the brown and the dark brown soil zones um, of Saskatchewan. So more or less central and southwest Saskatchewan is, is where it's grown. The biggest risk with it is the Ascochyta blight. And uh, that's why it's, it's preferred to be grown under drier conditions that helps to manage some of the disease pressures. Lentils is another crop that, that tends to be grown more in the brown and, and dark brown soil zones has expanded a little bit into the black as well. Um, when you get into the black soil zone with lentils, the maturity, it's got a really indeterminate growth habit. So under kind of cooler moisture conditions, you get more biomass and potentially less seed production. So there is sort of a, a fringe area where lentils wouldn't be the preferred crop to, or pulse crop to grow there. Um, the other pulse crop that is um, of interest in some areas and, and we're seeing a little bit of a renewed interest in this last year was is dry beans. And dry beans are typically grown under irrigation in Saskatchewan, but we do have some types that are suited for dry land production. And we did see a few acres of dry land production in that black soil zones and it is another option for growers to consider. So really knowing what pulses are suited for your area is the first step, and then identifying the pulse crop and how it could fit into your management practices um, is, is kind of the second. And then the third would be looking at the markets, right? Because you wanna grow something that you can sell and that you have you know either a buyer locally or a market within Saskatchewan um, and and that becomes some of the things that you're going to be considering when you're looking at including pulses in your rotation and trying to expand your canola um, uh, rotations as well when I used to write about other crops like edible beans I do recall that I mean there's within edible beans there's a number of different 
types of beans, black beans, navy beans, pinto beans, etc. And it was pretty easy to flood a market if there was a big jump in acres. So that, as you said, that is always a consideration. Faba beans as well. It's I think it's the smallest acres-wise of the six major pulses. We actually had a study done um, from an international organization a few years ago looking at the market opportunities for faba beans and where we should be focusing our uh, acres and the types of faba beans that we grow here. And, you know, what came out of that and what has been coming out of um, the markets is that the focus within Western Canada right now is currently on producing faba beans for feed. So that's kind of on the low tannin faba bean side. But there is opportunity as we're looking for more, you know, protein sources that faba beans are high in protein and there's more and more processors that are looking at using faba beans uh, to fractionate to extract the protein to be sold in the, the protein markets worldwide. And that has been a really big push in the last few years and, and a lot of interest. So that could be sort of the future of faba beans. So in terms of acres and markets, right now um, we're starting to see the interest in uh, the livestock side of things, as well as some of the, the food grade markets are buying the faba beans that we grow here. Um, the challenge right now is, is having a production that's consistent and that we can grow that production at the same time as we grow the markets. It's a bit of a chicken and an egg because if you, you know, produce a bunch of faba beans and can't sell it, all of a sudden growers don't want to grow it anymore and then you have no supply to supply the markets. Um, so it, it's, it's kind of, you want them to grow together and I think we will see that over the next few years. Um, more and more growers are seeing the advantages of faba beans in their area, particularly where they've been having difficulty growing other pulses such as peas. Um, Northeast Saskatchewan is one area that is, is well suited to growing faba beans. So I think it's something that we'll see, you know, hopefully slow growth over the short term and, and who knows where the long term will take us. The opposite side of the spectrum is, of course, soybeans, which Western Canada is so tiny in the world market, we could probably grow all we wanted and find a place for them. Um, so, the, so, which I suppose is the appeal with uh, canola, soybeans, cereals kind of rotation. What's, mm -hmm. What do you think about soybeans as a as a major rotation crop with with canola? Well, I think soybeans have a really good fit. Um, in Western Canada, and we definitely see, you know, a lot more acres in Manitoba than we have in Saskatchewan. Um, we had a huge jump in soybean acres uh, in 2017, and then actually a decrease last year in 2018. But I think it's it's kind of hopefully going to stabilize a little bit and, until we get it figured out in terms of how to produce soybeans and have growers have success with them and make them economical for to fit into the rotation. The biggest challenge that we have with soybeans is kind of twofold. One is the maturity, but we do have newer varieties that are definitely fitting into that early maturity category that makes it suited for across Saskatchewan. But the other issue that we run across is moisture. Soybeans need moisture in July and August. 
If they don't get the moisture during that kind of reproductive phase, they just don't yield. So yield stability is very important and, and um, needs to be kind of bred into these new varieties that are earlier maturing. So we have both an early maturing variety as well as one that can yield enough to make it profitable. So the profitability of the soybeans within a rotation is going to be key moving forward. Is there any last thoughts? I think one of the things that we really should mention that we haven't touched on at all is when you're looking at including pulses in rotation with canola is really watching the um, managing, I guess, really managing the weed control side. So one of the biggest challenges we have in pulses is actually managing the Roundup Ready volunteer canola. So when we're looking at rotations, it's not only about managing you know, weeds in the individual crops, but it's also looking at the potential you know, residue implications and making sure we're not growing, say, canola on pulse stubble where we've used a herbicide to control canola that might have some residue effects that could in turn impact the canola growth the year following or two years following. And the same goes for the flip side. When we're looking at pulses, we have to watch um, where we're putting them and make sure that if we have been using any residual products within either in the canola year or in the cereal year, that is not going to impact the pulse crop choice. Thanks, Sherry Lynn. It's good chatting with you. I think canola and, you know, canola and pulses and cereals in a rotation are there's so many opportunities for growers to get back into those more diversified rotations and gain the benefits from that because it doesn't matter what it is whether it's you know growing soybeans every second year or growing lentils every second year which is you know a lot of our lentil grown areas have been doing that that is something that we need to move away from as well so it's not just canola that you know we're we're dealing with shorter rotations it's it's all crops and managing those crops to include you know other other systems and and expanding expanding the um, time between the different crops will help us with so many different things thanks sherry lynn you're welcome good luck yep talk to you later sherry lynn phelps is the agronomy manager with saskatchewan pulse growers this has been a canola watch podcast i'm jay wetter thanks for listening